You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm Lynn Galadner, and I've dedicated my life to sharing stories of how people make meaning in their work and find purpose in their lives. On this podcast, we're going to talk about some of the great ideas and activities people do every day to make the world a better place and provide inspiration for others. So much of the meaning we find comes from interacting with great people, developing relationships that are mutually beneficial, and doing work that inspires everyone. I hope you'll be inspired by the people you meet here. We all need to find a way to make meaning in the mundane. Welcome back to the Make Meaning Podcast. On today's episode, I'd like to share some thoughts on what a true education looks like. As the mother of four teenagers, this is a question I've pondered since I first became a mom. And 17 years into this lifetime role, I I don't think I'm any closer to the answer, but I can tell you what I think education is not. Um, I can tell you what's broken about the American approach to education, in my humble opinion, but I'm not sure I have a solution for how we can fix it or how we can build a system that works for everyone. And see, that's part of the problem. When we build a system to educate masses of people, we have varying levels of ability, talent, interest, and need. And there's really no one-size-fits-all approach to educating young children as they grow. There really can't be because education is a very personal journey of connecting with knowledge, taking it inside yourself and letting it change you. And first, we have to build a love of learning. And so how does that happen? And I think about when my children were little, um, everything was educational. Every Everything they saw and did and grabbed for and tasted was a journey. It was an educational experience, and they couldn't have enough of them. I mean, I remember taking my oldest um, on walks outside, and he'd be in the stroller, and just simply looking up at trees or houses or telephone lines was mesmerizing. And we would take that walk every single day and it would be something new and it would be developing his mind and his thoughts and mine as well. It was just magical. So how do we capture that love of learning that is already there and keep it and develop it, deepen it even more? So I'm an entrepreneur and a writer and I spent 15 years as a journalist, full-time writing for magazines and newspapers across our country. In uh, 2007, I pivoted my career and created my marketing and public relations company, Your People LLC, which has evolved in the last 12 years too. Today, we devote most of our efforts to helping organizations craft their authentic stories and messages and build strategies for creating authentic and mutually beneficial relationships with their audiences. Um, we also help them see how every person in the organization is an ambassador tasked with growing their reach and their success. Um, but along my journey, I've been a teacher too. So not only in the workplace, in training clients or staff to do some of these important marketing and communications tasks themselves, but um, I also teach writing at the university level and through my nonprofit, One Earth Writing. I teach writing to teens. So I know firsthand, not just as a mom, but as a teacher, what works in teaching and what doesn't. Um, and I can tell you that teaching a mass group of students is a very hard thing to do. And the reason I'm not a classroom teacher, whom I commend immensely, is because um, as a college instructor or in a nonprofit, I can teach the way I want to teach. I can have conversations that go beyond the boundaries of expectations of core curriculum or of t- 
test scores um, to really get to that love of learning, which is something that has, I think, been lost in our schools. Um, I do commend our highly underpaid and overworked teachers across America for their dedication and passion because it takes a really special person to show up day after day for one of the lowest salaries around and give their heart and soul to youth who need to be seen and heard and understood. And at the core, that's what teaching should be, is that I notice you and I notice your unique gifts and talents and abilities, um, and I'm going to help you bring them out into the world. So I want to tell you a story about one of my recent teaching escapades. It was a couple of years ago, actually, but it was at a, an inner city high school. Um, I was in a classroom all day uh, going from actually from class to class to class, ninth and 10th graders, and some were um, special needs students and others were just your regular old teenagers. And and I was teaching them writing. And as a guest instructor, um, yes, I tied into the curriculum, but my job was to excite them about writing and language. And so um, I, I came into this dynamic classroom of um, immigrant students, uh, many of whom had come as they were children, not born here, um, children in foster care. Um, there was a multiracial, multiracial classroom, lower socioeconomic neighborhood, a real melting pot, as our definition goes in this country. And um, my whole experience was to teach writing, give positive feedback. Um, I would kneel down to the desk level to really talk with these students as they were working on their assignments um, and and give them positive reinforcement for what they were doing well. And I was not looking for anybody to become a Pulitzer Prize winner or um, win a contest. I wasn't even giving them grades. I just wanted them to love the words and to engage with it. And um, Later that summer, after I had finished my job with the school, I was at a local um, soccer game and uh, I went up to one of the um, vendors that was one of the food vendors and there was a teenage boy working there and he looked at me and he said, you came into my class and he remembered because I noticed him and I recognized him. Um, I don't remember what he wrote, but I know that I saw him and he knew that. And so that stayed with me for a long time because what teaching is all about is is really bringing forth those gifts that are in all of us and letting them shine so that each person can change the world in the way they were meant to be. So I want to go back to some of the resources that I go to when I'm pondering this question of what education should be. And I, I need to pull out my first and, and most beloved resource, which is a manifesto that Seth Godin wrote. He's a marketing guru that I have studied with and really admire um, he, he really questions things and doesn't take the status quo. So he wrote this manifesto called Stop Stealing Dreams. What is school for? Which you should Google and check out. It's like a hundred pages or more and you should read it. But, um, this is what he says in part of it in the beginning. He says, I'm going to argue that top down industrialized schooling is just as threatened and for very good reasons. Scarcity of access is destroyed by our connection economy. At the very same time, the skills and attitudes we need from our graduates are changing. And then he says, you know, he goes on to explain that our current approach to schooling dates back more than 150 years when adults wanted to remove children from the workplace because they were taking jobs from adults and getting paid less. And so um, in 1918, the United States made education for children 
mandatory. And Seth goes on to say this, part of the rationale used to sell this major transformation to industrialists back then was the idea that educated kids would actually become more compliant and productive workers. Our current system of teaching kids to sit in straight rows and obey instructions isn't a coincidence. It was an investment in our economic future. The plan, trade short-term child labor wages for longer-term productivity by giving kids a head start in doing what they're told. Seth goes on to say, large-scale education was not developed to motivate kids or to create scholars. It was invented to turn out adults who worked well within the system. Scale was more important than quality, just as it was for most industrialists. But yet, he points out in this manifesto that today, and really through the history of the public education system in our country, or the education system, because it's private schools too, um, schools are churning out kids who are looking for jobs where a boss will tell them what to do. And so we've been doing this um, since the 1920s because that was the style of labor back then. And so you showed up and the boss told you what to do and you did it. And that's what our system is trying to encourage, but our economy has changed. Um, it's just different. And so I'm going to read some more from his manifesto. So Seth Godin writes, the bargain, take kids out of work so we can teach them to become better factory workers as adults, has set us on a race to the bottom. Some people argue that we ought to become the cheaper, easier country for sourcing cheap, compliant workers who do what they're told. Even if we could win that race, race we would lose the bottom is not a good place to be, even if you're capable of getting there. And he continues, here's the question every parent and taxpayer needs to wrestle with. Are we going to applaud, push, or even permit our schools, including most of the private ones, to continue the safe but ultimately doomed strategy of churning out predictable, testable, and mediocre factory workers? As long as we embrace or even accept standardized testing, fear of science, little attempt at teaching leadership, and most of all, the bureaucratic imperative to turn education into a factory itself, we are in big trouble. So I discovered Seth's manifesto many, many years ago and my jaw dropped because um, it made so much sense and I learned a lot for sure, but it finally put some words to why I didn't feel okay with the options I found when my children were babies. I remember searching for ways to educate them um, while still instilling in them and preserving this love of learning and the love of life. For a hot minute, I thought about homeschooling and I fell in love with the Waldorf approach to education um, way back when. I had stacks of books just piled on the floor about um, how you would teach your children in this Waldorf approach, which you should also Google. Um, one of my four children attends a Waldorf school. And I do love that approach to education because it focuses on the development of the child. And full disclaimer, um, my company does a lot of work with Waldorf schools because I'm so passionate about it. We, we work with, um, Detroit Waldorf School, Sacramento Waldorf School, and I've spoken at Waldorf conferences about how to use storytelling as a mode of marketing because storytelling is what they do in the classroom. But that aside, focusing on the developmental stages of the child and aligning the education with that makes perfect sense. Um, this results in two recesses a day, even for older children, based on tons of research that shows that children and really all of us need to immerse in fresh air and play to assimilate what we learn and all the seriousness that we have in the classroom or frankly, the workplace. Um, 
Did you know in Finland, teachers take their students out for recess every 45 minutes? No joke. Um, that's very cool. But in pondering, you know, back to this big question of what is a true education, I ask, well, what are our goals as a society? You know, why do we have children? What are we raising them to do? I'm not to send them off to the factories. Um, so if I look at today's approach to education, I would say we are raising our children to be serious, to compete, to only look at their self-worth through test scores and awards. Um, I would say we are raising our children to spend more money than they have to go to schools that other people will approve of. So I went back to Seth Godin's manifesto to see if he had some thoughts on this. And he suggested that our societal goals include the following, um, a culturally coordinated society, the pursuit of knowledge for its own sake, uh, the tools to make smart decisions. So I think about when we are forcing children to sit still in a classroom, um, learning at the same pace all the time. When we have, let's say we have 30 kids in a classroom and they're all at different stages of development and stages of ability and interest and talent, um, how can we expect them all to achieve at the same level, uh, learn at the same pace, and frankly, all get along and be happy? I mean, if we put 30 adults in a room, I do not think they would all get along, and I don't know how we can expect children to. Um, and then think about that teacher who has a love of teaching um, and is standing before a group of completely undeveloped, wiggly human beings who need attention and love. And um, first graders are hugging their teachers or calling them mom because that's who they know most. And how can that one person appeal to everybody and make sure that everyone gets what they need. You know, think about as you're listening to this, could you manage 30 people and all of their needs and drama and and baggage? Um, how does that one person teach every single little soul in that room to love themselves and to love learning? Um, or even yet, how can how can one person lead them on a journey to find what they were meant to do? Because I believe we were put on this earth with a unique talent and focus, and that our life's mission is to contribute to the world around us to make it better than it was when we arrived. So how does school empower us to do this? So here's what Seth Godin suggests for reinventing school. He says, here are a dozen ways school can be rethought. Homework during the day and lectures at night. Open book, open note, all the time. Access to any course anywhere in the world. Precise, focused instruction instead of mass generalized instruction. The end of multiple choice exams. Hell yeah, I would love that. I never did well on those. Experience instead of test scores as a measure of achievement. Um, the end of compliance as an outcome. Cooperation instead of isolation. Amplification of outlying students, teachers, and ideas. Transformation of the role of the teacher. Lifelong learning and earlier work. And death of the nearly famous college. He says, it's easier than ever to open a school, to bring new technology into school, and to change how we teach. But if all we do with these tools is teach compliance and consumption, that's all we're going to get. School can and must do more than train the factory workers of tomorrow. And that was Seth Godin, Stop Stealing Dreams, his manifesto on what is school for. So I want to ask you to think about what did you dream of when you were a child? Chances are really good that you knew who you were early on and have since forgotten that as you've been trained to fit in and get along. So really close your eyes and think back. 
Um, I'll tell you a, sto- a couple of stories from my journey. And I, it took me a long time to realize I already, I always knew who I was. Um, I just didn't listen to that voice. So when I was, um, younger in the 1970s, 1980s, I had this corduroy covered journal, um, which definitely reminds me of that era. And I would take it with me everywhere and I would write stories and skits and poems. And um, my oldest and dearest friend wrote um, a beautiful, um, the end in her lovely script. And she drew um, actually the back of an elephant like leaving. So it was very, very cute. And I still have it. It sits on a shelf behind my desk where I work now because it reminds me that at my youngest age, when I didn't have to do anything, I wrote stories and I um, I talked about how people you know, thought about things and found connection, um, which is what I do for a living now. But I didn't always, and I didn't always have that clarity because um, we are trained to do things as I've heard from so many people. Um, I remember when I started college, I thought you could have three careers, <laughs> business, law, and medicine. I have no idea where those came from. Um, but I was not a science person and could never imagine science. So that was out. Um, for medicine, forget it. And um, I don't even like getting a blood test, let alone giving one. Um, and business, I mean, I'm doing it now because everything is a business. But law was, um, my parents thought the best thing for me because I love to argue, but it just didn't hold any interest for me. And everybody was going to law school. And so I kept writing my articles and looking to freelance for newspapers. And it hit me one day that this was something I was already doing. It was already who I was being. Um, in fact, I'll tell you one other story. When I was in fourth grade, um, a boy down the street actually died. It was a horrible, tragic accident. And um, I went to visit his parents at the memorial. And um, before I went, I created a newsletter by hand because we didn't have computers back then. And um, all these stories from the neighborhood just to try to comfort them. So I was doing what my soul was meant to do to communicate with people and connect. And um, as kids, we really know who we are. So on this journey to talk about how um, we look at education and how we might rethink it, um, I'm thinking about how legislators have removed cursive writing from most state curricula, um, how they've mandated that all children must read by third grade, even though they start that in kindergarten. Um, but did you know that a child is not developmentally able to read and, and comprehend until third grade? So the child who begins reading in kindergarten might be able to memorize or sound out words, but may not understand what he or she is reading. And so what good is that? You know, um, we have recently heard that in Michigan, our governor, Gretchen Whitmer, set a goal to have a 60% higher education attainment rate by 2030, which is a great goal. Um, but I'm going to argue that maybe it's not the right goal because I'm not convinced that every person should attend college. You know, we have fun and there's status that comes with attending college. Um, but if your talent is for learning, then yeah, college is for you. If your talent is for making things or building things or fixing problems in someone's home, you should do that. And uh, we're losing our tradespeople because of the stigma attached to very necessary jobs and the um, competition that everybody get a certain kind of education, even if it's not what they're called to do. What we need is a society of people who listen to their inner voice and do what they were meant to do. I found this definition of a true education from Brigham Young University President David McKay, which he shared in 1967. I love this. He says, a true education is an awakening of love of truth, a giving of a just sense of duty, an opening of the eyes of the soul to the great purpose of life. 
It is not so much giving words as thoughts, not mere maxims so much as living principles. It is not teaching the individual to love the good for one's own sake. It is teaching him or her to love the good for the sake of the good itself, to be virtuous in action because he or she is so in heart. Character is the aim of true education, and science, history, and literature are but means used to accomplish this desired end. Character is not the result of chance, but of continuous right thinking and right acting. That was President David O. McKay from Brigham Young University in 1967. Did you know that Albert Einstein never graduated high school? Um, And yet he won the Nobel Prize for Physics in 1921. He developed the theory of relativity, and he had a lifelong deep love of learning that never faded. He learned for the sake of learning. And Albert Einstein said, not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. In a Huffington Post article, Tom Alone, a former Stuyvesant High School English teacher and New York City mayoral candidate, wrote, we need to take a deep breath, a long step back, and reevaluate our priorities. Critical thinking, the ability to synthesize disparate information, writing persuasive essays, and reading for pleasure are becoming lost arts. At this rate, pretty soon, we will become a nation of people defined by GPAs, SATs, and other pernicious acronyms that really symbolize that testing has replaced learning. So in closing, as a mother, as a teacher, as a lover of words and questions and conversations that have no end, I know we need to change our perspectives on education. This aligns with our conversations here on the Make Meaning podcast about meaning and purpose. You can work a lifetime in a job or even build an illustrious and lucrative career, but that does not guarantee that you will have purpose. We must let go of our reliance on current modes of measurement and trust the inner voice that leads us to pick up a book or count the rungs on a jungle gym ladder or be awestruck by the way baking soda and vinegar create a volcano. We must embrace and keep that sense of wonder that is so close to us throughout childhood. We must shake off the need to fit in, to belong, to conform to someone else's definition of success. We must reconnect with the concept of learning for the sake of learning and for no other reason whatsoever. I once read a memoir by a teenage autodidact who created her own journey of learning, and I marveled at the courage she had to embark on such a journey and envied her passion for simply sitting and learning whatever struck her fancy. We can do this. When we don't like the way things are, we can change them. When we know deep down what it takes to become educated, we can get ourselves there. Yes, we need a system for educating our youth. Not every parent can take on this task themselves, but we do our families a disservice when we lump 30 children together and expect them to be okay. Every single child has a gift and a purpose, and you were once that child. So was I. Don't you long to be that person once again? Let's keep this conversation going, and maybe someday we'll come to a solution that leaves us all better for having tried. I am Lynn Galadner, and I thank you for joining me on this episode of the Make Meaning Podcast. I hope it helps you come closer to your purpose. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm Lynn Galadner, and I've really enjoyed being here with you today. You can find the Make Meaning Podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, and I'd love it if you'd share our great conversations with all your people so we can add meaning wherever we go and whatever we do. 